0: Locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. This is the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for Case 123, The Shrieking House. I grabbed my phone as it vibrated across my wooden patio table. Ford's name lit up on the display. Hey lady, how are you? I asked, sliding my podcast case bookmark into my copy of Summit Lake by Charlie Donnelly. Hey, sorry, I don't have a lot of time. I'm between parent meetings, but did you see what's going on in the inbox? Ford asked, her heels clicking softly on the tile as she walked down the school hallway. I put Ford on speaker, heading to the inbox. No, I've been reading outside for the past couple of hours. It's cloudy and sprinkling. I know, it's weather perfection. I replied, giving the inbox a double take. Is there some glitch in our server low needs to look into? 3:33 p.m. 13 emails with the subject line The House That Shrieks. The e's in the words the house and shrieks were all replaced by the number 3 instead of the letter. Each of the 13 emails contained the same short email. Subject line. The house that shrieks. Society. Our town has a plug upon it. A house so ripe with dimensional intersections. At times there's a congestion of activity so powerful the windows vibrate with energy. Demons pull themselves from the earth. Children scream in the night. You must help us. You must make it stop. Representative, Darla. Each E, again, the number three. I'll ask Lo to look into a server issue or something, I said, bringing the phone back to my ear. In the meantime, let's follow up with Darla to get this haunt on the books. There was a long pause. Ford, did I lose you? It doesn't feel right, she finally said. Something fluttered in my subconscious. Tech issue, that's all. I'm sure our contact form got corrupted or something. I hope you're right, Ford said, ending the call abruptly. Property details. This home is located in Barstow, about 75 miles west of Forrester, with a population of around 10,000. The house itself looks adorable. It's a small home with a large porch connected to the home's back and an an over-an-acre lot framed with a low-vintage-designed whitewashed picket fence. It was built in 1932 from a kit purchased from Sears. The style, known as the Gordon, could be bought to make five or seven rooms and a bathroom. The main level has a kitchen, living room, bathroom, dining room, and two bedrooms. The second floor has two bedrooms and a water closet a tiny room with just a toilet and a small sink. The monthly house payment was only 35 to $60, depending on the kit's size. We actually found a 1930s ad for the home. We will share it on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. Team update. Ford loves her crystals class, and she's asked to do a crystals corner Every episode for the next couple of weeks. This week's Ford approved crystal is Clear Quartz, considered the master healer of crystals and stones. This minimally colored stone has a wide array of purposes. You can put it with other stones to cleanse them or place them in a sunny window to jumpstart the room's positive energy. Carry the stone with you to help amplify one of your intentions and to protect you against negative energy. Clear Quartz is an excellent stone to start your collection with, and Ford encourages you to find a local shop, if at all possible, to purchase your stones from. If you don't have one near you to test and see how the stones feel, there are lots of small shops on places like Etsy to get some pretty great stones. And that closes Crystal's Corner for this week. The only thing keeping Prue's family up at night is Kickstart. She has the energy of about five toddlers at all hours of the day and night. Her best puppy life has exactly two speeds, Zonked Out of Sleep and Mach in Hyperdrive. Lo has been working to update our website, including increased security stuff, because cybersecurity is her slow jam, and getting new blog posts and other content added. You'll also find that she's added a tab to our Patreon page, where patrons can access some pretty fun perks and exclusives, If you want to investigate what's happening for our patrons, go to sleeplessinsuburbia.com and click the Patreon tab. Claire has lost her ever-loving mind and has signed up for a duathlon. It sounds terrible before I googled what is a duathlon. This crazy woman is signing up to run, bike, and then run again on purpose, you guys. That's a 10k run, a 40k bike ride, and then they wrap everything up with a 5k run, for fun or something. If my math is correct, that's a million and a half miles. If you see me running, run, because I'm getting chased by a bear, serial killer, or flesh-eating supernatural creature. I had another visitor during a wakeful moment in the night. This woman came to me shrouded in green light. I noticed the green glow lighting up the foot of my bed before I saw her. My eyes finally settled on her, and I was instantly flooded with a feeling of unease. Trisha's words came to me ask her what she needs. But the vibe off of this night visitor, I didn't want to know. She actually kind of scared me. Where the previous visitor in the sweater didn't seem to notice me, this one stared right at me. After two to three minutes, the woman faded away, and the green haze lingered a little bit longer. I definitely need to figure out how to keep her menacing energy out of my bedroom, or I'm never going to sleep. Lark is just starting to settle in for the fall semester. She's decided to cousin nap James and Michael this weekend for a mini road trip. It's only a couple hours away. To scare the bejesus out of them at a drive through haunted attraction. It's themed like The Walking Dead. As you're driving through, your goal is to escape the hordes of the undead. It's guaranteed that James will not sleep for weeks, but maybe a good zombie scare will soothe his 13-year-old edges a little bit. I said with deep passion, heck to the no, to Lark's invitation to join them on this haunted adventure. I scary movie. I paranormal investigate. I do not haunted house attraction. Why? Because people scare me, especially people in masks or makeup where I can't ID you in a lineup if I need to. Historical Society Research Buckle up, spooky crew, because this history is crazy. When Lark and Prue gave me their research, I considered calling a meeting so I could vote to skip this property altogether. It's such a dumpster fire of intense past that I'm not even sure where to start. The best place to begin, I think, is with the dark history that may have tainted the ground not only where the Shrieking House was built, but also the entire town of Barstow. Sifting through old boxes of material at the Franklin County Historical Society, Prue found several mentions to the execution of six Civil War soldier deserters on the property. One document, presumably written by a bystander, Detailed how the wife of one of the men begged for his life to be spared. He'd only left his regimen to come home to their new baby boy. The execution order was upheld, and the woman fell to the ground, unable to walk. She was left there through the night as she cried uncontrollably, all alone. In the online archives, Lark found evidence that the property may have been the same location as a pre Civil War slaves' quarter. The land was once owned by Captain L. Carter, captain of one of the first militias in the Civil War, and his wife, Lucretia. Lucretia is listed as owner of the slaves who worked the property, and there were lots of rumors that she'd had inappropriate experiences with some of the young enslaved men, which may have led to her death at a pretty young age. Lucretia was found bludgeoned to death in the barn, No one was ever convicted or even suspected of her death. At the time she was attacked, everyone had been away from the farm. Trigger warning here on the next couple of pieces of history. If you need to hit that 30 fast forward button, go ahead and do so a couple times. In 1974, just one street over from the Shrieking House, a violent murder took place. The murder weapon? An axe. A woman came home to find her husband in the heated passion of an affair. As the wife went to the shed, the mistress fled the home, leaving the husband the only one inside when the wife returned with an axe. She struck him at least six times with the axe. As he lay bleeding, she turned a shotgun on herself, completing suicide. Unfortunately, this type of violence wasn't a rare occurrence in Barstow. The city has an unusually high rate of suicide attempts and completions per capita. One of those suicides was a man who completed suicide with a revolver in front of his young nephew while standing in his backyard. Trigger warning stuff over, so if you've been hitting that fast-forward button, you're good to rejoin us now. You can see the town cemetery from the home's front window, including not one, but three different mass graves. One of the mass graves is the final resting place for as many as 27 people who succumbed to scarlet fever. A fire broke out in a workhouse on the edge of town, killing nine people. The families did not have the means for private plots or burials, so they were all buried together in the second mass grave. We couldn't find the details on who rests in the third mass grave. The headstone for the large plot simply reads, May they rest with the Lord. There are whispers in the region to avoid the town altogether or risk falling victim to a curse. The house had such a gnarly reputation that even the Roman Catholic Church wrote a 192 page report classifying the Shrieking House's presumed haunting as a demonic infestation, oppression, obsession, and possession. Another infestation, but this time of a supposedly confirmed demonic variety. A famous paranormal researcher visited the location in the 1970s, warning that, quote, Prepare yourselves and your soul. The oppression, it's far from over. Two trusted sources both cite demonic oppression as an explanation for the happenings in the house. But what about the people who lived in the home? Paranormal activity in the home can be traced back as far as 1965 and from 1999 through January 2002, seven families called the Shrieking House home, seven families in less than three years. That's a lot of broken leases. In early 2003, a family of three, a mama and her two young kiddos, moved into the idyllic home seeking stability after a devastating life event, a really messy divorce. The trio lasted only 12 days in the house before they were forced to flee for their lives. By comparison, the Amityville's Lutz family lasted 28 days, plagued by intense paranormal happenings that sparked such popular scary movies as the Amityville horror. Back to our family of three. Natalie, the mom, was looking for a fresh start and couldn't believe her great fortune, a cute house with a huge yard and a quiet town for her children to grow up in. Things were a bit off about the people and the property from the start. While on a tour of the property, the current owner asked Natalie if she understood the great responsibility of living in a house such as this. She found the question pretty odd, but thought they simply meant the quirks that came with keeping up with an older home. Despite being a beautiful home, with everything the family could ask for, there were oddities about the house itself. Every single door inside the home had an eyehook lock. You know the ones I'm talking about, where they have the hook you flip over and it fits in a ring. Each door had one on the outside of the door, like people were trying to keep something in each of the rooms. 8-year-old Memphis mentioned to Natalie that the neighbors seemed to go out of their way to avoid the house, going as far as to cross the street when walking along the sidewalk and then cross back once they were past the property. Everything was weird, but sometimes small towns are eccentric like that. A little odd, but there weren't any red flags to warn off the family. They couldn't wait to move in. On day 1, March 15th, 2003, While Natalie and her children, Riker and Memphis, carried boxes in from the U-Haul, a car pulled up beside them on the street. The passenger side window rolled down a few inches, and someone shouted, Hope you'll get along well with them. Natalie set down the box she carried, walking towards the car, but it sped off before she could get any answers from the driver. That wasn't the only strange happening on the first day in the shrieking house. After a long day of moving and unpacking, the trio sat in the living room gobbling down pizza. Riker was the first to notice an unexplained bright light streaming in from the front window. It was as though someone was blasting a spotlight into their home. Natalie went outside to investigate, expecting to find a car with high beams pointed towards her house, but the street was empty. Inside, the light no longer shone in the window. Shortly after midnight, Natalie awoke to the same blinding light coming through her bedroom window, but again, there was no explained source outside. This became a regular occurrence. So much so, they stopped looking for a source of the light because they knew when they went outside, they'd find nothing but darkness. Shortly after moving into their new house, the children began telling Natalie about ghosts stalking the hallway outside of their rooms at night. Natalie chalked it up to the overactive imaginations of two young kids adjusting to life in their new home without their father. And on the third night in the house, Memphis was in the basement, where she encountered something so horrifying that it caused the sweet baby girl to wet her pants. Memphis described a shapeless form that first lunged at her and then chased her up the stairs. That is literally my greatest childhood fear. Did anyone else race up the stairs as a kid from the phantom monsters lurking in the dark? And this little sweetheart actually came face to face with that fear. Natalie quickly noticed cold drafts and chills throughout the house. They were so intense that she bought a digital air temperature gauge. She was shocked by the findings. While most of the house rested at around 70 degrees Fahrenheit, Some cold spots were as low as 32 degrees. It was March, so the outdoors were still cool, but not 30-plus degrees Fahrenheit cold. Shortly after the temperature disturbances, strange electrical sensations began impacting all three family members. While moving throughout the home, they would feel an electrical charge race across the back of their neck through their entire body. So concerned that the family was somehow getting mild electrocution from the wiring, Natalie called an electrician to evaluate the house. He found all the wiring to be safe and in perfect working order. These electrical charge situations, some research suggests, are the result of portals. Very quickly, activity in the house intensified. Doors opened and closed on their own. So Natalie began latching the eye hook locks that were already installed on the doors, but quickly, the house revolted. While shut and latched with the hook locks, the door shook violently, causing loud banging sounds. Activity in the house flared so aggressively, the children used the buddy system to leave a room, fearful of getting attacked by something they couldn't see if they were alone. It wasn't the banging doors or electrical current sensation that truly scared the children. It was the demonic being Riker encountered in the basement that began following him around the house. The beings coming through the portals took pleasure in messing with the family by moving items around the house, paying particular attention to mess with the kids' bedrooms. The being from the basement that followed Riker was a clown with sharp teeth, that appeared from around corners, under beds, and even in Riker's chest of drawers. The family heard deafening, disembodied screams within the walls of their house. They described what would begin as a male-sounding voice growling, but the voice would level up to eardrum-piercing, shrill screams. One night, the children slept in their now shared bedroom. Their open door slammed shut. Natalie, sitting on the couch reading a book, rushed to the room, turning the handle and pushing on the door with no result. Inside, the children cried and screamed, No! Leave us alone! Ow! Ow! Natalie pushed harder on the door, throwing her shoulder into it until she felt a portion of her shoulder cave. Inside the room, the children huddled together on the bed, the room's closet coming to life with supernatural forces. The closet door flung open with such force the doorknob busted a hole in the wall. Violent pounding and screams came from the darkness of the closet. They could also hear several voices jabbering from the depths of the darkness. Natalie sobbed in the hall, dropping to her knees, reciting the Lord's Prayer. Halfway through the second time, the bedroom door creaked open. She rushed in. Wrapping her arms around the kids, and together they raced from the room, down the hall, and out the front door. From the lawn, looking back at their home, they watched a black mass race room to room, looking for them. That was the last time Natalie, Riker, and Memphis were in the home. Natalie hired movers to pack and move the family's items. On-site interview recap. Do you want to start with the portal locations? Darla asked, stepping off the sidewalk onto the cursed property's grass. I think I'll wait in the car. I mumbled, lingering as the rest of the team followed behind Darla. What was that, dear? Darla asked, pushing her gray-streaked brown French-braided hair off her shoulder. Over Ford and Claire's giggle, I said, A bar. I'm going to need a bar after this one. Right down there, left on Sycamore, just past the Dime Sud stop on the right, is Leroy's Bar and Grill. She stopped by a flagpole topped with a faded American flag hanging limp without a trace of wind. Not much of a grill anymore, but he's got cold beer, whiskey, and fairly clean glasses. The flagpole set on the edge of the front yard property line. Nothing about the location gave off a portal to hell vibe. It felt like any other yard in any small town across the country. I breathed a sigh of relief, relaxing slightly since an arm didn't shoot up from the ground to pull us to hell after stepping on the grass. It was right there, Darla pointed about five feet to the right of the flagpole, that three children chasing locusts around the field over there saw the creepster pull itself from the ground. Ford wrapped her arms around herself squinting up at the sun. I didn't blame her for not wanting to look at that spot. We were a foot, maybe two, away from the location of a terrifying sighting. It was late summer. The kids ran around a grassy field catching locusts and throwing them at each other. Seven-year-old Brooke, or now-year-old Brooke, would punch you in the face for throwing a bug at me, especially a locust. The kids said that suddenly the ground began to tremble. Scared to get swallowed by an earthquake, they ran for the edge of the field. From the hazy purple hues of dusk, they saw something moving around on the ground in front of the White House. They stopped running to help, thinking somebody had fallen because of the earthquake. One boy skidded to a stop, the other two running into his back. It wasn't an elderly neighbor knocked to the earth by nature. Frozen in fear, the boys watched as a bone-thin clown with a long, drawn-out white face, razor-sharp jagged brownish-yellow teeth, frizzed out blood-red hair around the crown of his head, and no eyes clawed his way from the soil. Free from the earth, the clown, close caked in damp dirt, took a couple of long strides towards the boys. Then he looked back at the house like someone had called his name, and he turned, striding quickly across the yard, opening the door of the cellar, walking in while making eye contact with the boys. It was then they realized glowing yellow eyes now looked at them from his once eyeless face. A couple of times a year rumors circulated through Barstow that the yellow eyed clown had been seen pacing the property. Is this the same clown that followed Riker around the house? Claire asked, flipping through her notes. Based on the description, we believe so. Darla nodded, pulling a cigarette from her purse. Do you mind? Not at all, Claire said. Are there any other creatures of nightmares crawling from the earth here? Here? Darla said, taking a long pull from her cigarette, considering for a moment. No, not here. Stretch Arm Man and Blob manifest in the alleyway. Well, of course they did, I thought. Beside the property was a narrow alley leading to the town center. Here, dozens of people claimed to be chased by a humanoid figure, so tall that its head nearly reaches up to the streetlights dotting the alley. Its arms are extended, stretching to the ground. When it runs after you, you can hear its pinchers, like claws dragging the ground. Darla's older brother Harry had a scar on the back of his right calf after being slashed by the stretch armed man. Palling around the alley with stretch was what locals called the blob. This misty black mass bubbled around on the ground, sometimes gathering up onto itself, getting as tall as the picket fence running alongside the alley. Does the blob chase people too, Ford asked? Not to my knowledge. It seems almost bashful. Once somebody notices it, it sinks into the ground until all traces of it are gone. She gave us a wave. Now just this way is the cellar door. The cellar could only be accessed from outside the home. Just past the white wooden door were a handful of cement steps leading to a dirt-floored room. The room was super cramped. Maybe six by six? The strange thing was, in the center of the room was a puddle of mud. Muck, maybe? Darla wasn't exactly sure what it was, but the orange-red mess never dried up, and it smelled like James's hockey bag. Okay, honestly, the smell wafting up from the cellar steps was putrid. Can we go down there and poke around, Ford asked. You ladies are more than welcome to poke around wherever you'd like. But I'm already closer to this hell trap than I care to be, Darla said. Because, I pressed. Because hell hath no fury like those creatures when they've had you or lost you, Darla snapped. If you've lived here, you've walked by. If you investigate or get nosy about the insides, it doesn't matter. If you're too close to the pull of this place, they can haunt your dreams and jack with your emotions. You might come in here all happy-go-lucky, But you can't control the feelings when you leave. You'll get the rage, sadness, anger, uncontrolled aggression. Damn, I breathed, not realizing the words had slipped from my lips. Damn's right. I know at least 15 people in town and some as far out as the county that are overwhelmed with the same nightmares. The nightmare is similar for each sleeper. It takes place in the basement, just a narrow dirt wall from the cellar. They walk down the open back wooden stairs, turning into the basement. They come face to face with a horrifying sight in the room. In the corner, there's a dimly lit flickering light over an open shower. There's a large man, both tall and muscular, leaning into the shower area. When they get closer, they find the water pouring from his hands is red. He's rinsing blood off them. Droplets splatter onto his apron. When the man turns towards the dreamer, they wake up. It made me think back to my dream about the older man performing an autopsy on himself. Animals don't fare too well here either, Darla continued, walking towards the property line's edge. What do you mean? Lo asked. Pets. Dead. A bunch of them. Seriously? How many? I asked, forcing my chin up so my mouth wasn't gaping open. Nine. Darla said, all happy, healthy, young, until they weren't. It seems like these entities on the property didn't like pets in their house or something about the energy there didn't mesh well with the pets. The nine documented tragic pet deaths on the property included one hamster, two kittens, three puppies, one bunny, one ferret, and a hedgehog. Poor Lowe looked especially green around the gills. "'Is there anything else we should know about the property or alleged supernatural activity?' I asked. "'Oh, mercy, yes. My advice? Don't investigate,' she said. "'Interesting, considering she'd been the one to email us.' I said as much. "'But you reached out to us.' She shook her head. "'I most certainly did no such thing.' I looked at the team. "'Then who'd been responding to our emails?' And how did she know to be there? Do you want to hear about the other stuff? Darla asked, walking even further away from the house. Here are the other haunted happenings. Phantom smells are noted in the house. You might smell baking cookies, perfume, specifically a rose-smelling perfume, or rancid meat. People report getting attacked in the house. Some only made it as far as walking into the home. The attacks include people getting thrown like rag dolls, people being shoved against the wall and held there by unseen forces, people getting shoved downstairs or shoved from behind, phantom painful bruises. Others become physically ill just by walking near the house. And trigger warning, some have reported being touched inappropriately. People report hearing and even capturing EVPs of disembodied voices, mumbled prayers, heavy breathing, growling, singing, and screaming like what Natalie, Memphis, and Riker heard. Passersby have reported seeing the shadowy mass moving across the windows in the home. People have also come face to face with monsters, leprechauns, and clowns while on or near the property. It seems like this house or the evil hiding within it takes a particular interest in terrorizing the children in the home and tapping into adults' childhood fears. At least three former residents showed signs of demonic possession. Previous residents and past investigators believe there are five non-living tenant regulars on the property. A man, a boy, a woman, a girl, and what's very possibly a demon. Investigation Recap Watching the sunset, it crossed my mind to cancel the entire thing. But we were already setting up, so it was too late to turn back. How many packs do we need? Lo asked, pulling a tote from the SUV. Three? One inside, one front yard, and one backyard? My stomach cramped, twisting into a knot. One. But we can cover three times the area in the same amount of time if we divide and conquer, Prue said, pulling three backpacks from the now-open tote. "'We aren't dividing tonight. One pack,' I said, "'probably a bit snarkier than I meant. "'It doesn't make sense to—' I cut her off. "'Lo, one pack. We aren't investigating outside of the group tonight.' I rubbed a spot on my forehead that was beginning to throb. "'I do not its something shifting here. I want everyone close.' Lo's hand dropped from her hip, and her pinched eyebrow softened. "'You okay?' she asked. I'm not sure if any of us are okay. I said, reaching into the car for the protective medallion my great-aunt Beatrice had given me? I really don't know. The investigation's single research pack included three digital voice recorders, digital camera, full-spectrum video camera, complete first aid kit, three flashlights, tofurkey jerky, whatever that was, holy water from St. Anthony's, Six crosses, blessed by Father Blackburn. Six clear quartz crystals, compliments of Ford. And a handwritten note from Maggie hidden in the front pocket. It read, Have fun tonight. Hope you find all the ghosts. Miss you. Love, Maggie. These are our experiences. Let's start inside, Claire suggested. Get it out of the way. Walking across the front porch, a familiar twist ripped through my stomach. I took a deep breath. Everything was going to be okay. It was just a house with potential paranormal activity. Nothing less and nothing more. I closed my eyes, trying to slow my pounding heart when something knocked into me. Sorry, Lowe said. The doorknob is hot. It burned me. She held up her hand, revealing a red circle on the palm. Let me try, Ford said. Stepping up, twisting the knob, it opened. No burn, no resistance weird. The air in the house felt charged. It's hard to describe the sensation. It's not exactly like an electrical current. It's more subtle than that. The air, maybe the home, it felt alive. It sort of reminded me of the feeling of getting out of the ocean and a cool breeze blows across your damp skin on a warm day. A mild, cool whoosh that sweeps your body in waves. Whoa, do you feel that? Prue breathed. Claire nodded. Kind of peaceful. For a long while, maybe an hour, we all sat, backs together, facing outward around the living room, rolling audio and watching. We noticed a car with a muffler issue passing by in front of the house. A dog barked a street or so away. Then a shadow shifted in the corner. My head interrupted its swivel, neck jerking back to the hallway. The darkened shape bubbled up and down, pulsing and rolling into itself working its way from the floor higher and higher. I tapped Lark's leg, pointing to the hall. I felt Prue and Claire shift behind us, turning to face the same direction. It now stood over halfway to the ceiling, inching closer to us. Slowly at first, I almost didn't notice the shift from upward momentum to forward. It crawled our direction, then lurched forward suddenly like a big cat launching itself towards a gazelle. I shifted forward in front of Lark, squeezing my eyes shut as the black mass loomed over us. Then, it was gone. We looked around the room dimly lit from the streetlights. No dark mass, and we were all still, thankfully, in one piece. Behind me, Ford blew out a long sigh before hitting play on her recorder. We caught this EVP during the time either right before or while the darkness came for us. Demon in the house, Lark said. Did you also hear the growl? We worked our way to the kitchen, looking out the windows towards the alley Darla had shown us earlier. From deeper inside the house came bang, bang. I broke my own rule, walking alone into the hallway where the door to the basement swung open and slammed shut on its own. Without thinking, I dodged through the door down the nearly pitch-black staircase towards the basement. Someone called my name as I slowly traversed the stairs, careful not to lose my footing. Behind me, I heard another set of feet working their way down the stairs. One of the girls was braving the bowels of the home with me. A smell assaulted my nose, causing me to cover my mouth and nose with my hand. Old meat. The smell was so thick I could taste it. Do you smell that? I said through my hand another step down and a cold chill encompassed my body i shivered torn between wrapping my arms around myself to ward off the chill and covering my face from the smell i had to be close to the bottom of the steps from the darkness a sound washed towards me at first a faint whisper barely heard growing in force and volume until it was a man's scream a force knocked me backward but one of the girls caught me from behind In the middle of my back began a dull burn, growing with intensity until I stepped away from whichever team member supported me. I reached behind me. No one was there. I screamed, stumbling up the stairs as fast as I could, tears sliding down my cheeks. In the hall, I ran towards the living room, into Ford's arms. Who came down with me? I asked, panting. What do you mean? Ford asked, patting my back, and I winced. Someone was behind me on the stairs. I heard the footsteps. Whoever it was caught me when the entity knocked me backward, I said. It wouldn't let us past, Claire's voice came softly. None of us were on the stairs. A cry escaped my lips. Check my back. Get a flashlight. Look at it. I felt the back of my t-shirt lift as a flashlight clicked on. Three scratches, Lowe said. A digital recorder caught the scream that plowed into me on the basement stairs. Let's listen to that audio now. The first scream you heard was the sound that came with a force that collided with me. The second scream was me. Wait, what wouldn't let you pass? I asked. Lark described a faintly glowing figure peering out from the first door in the hallway, which led to a bedroom. The figure had stark white hands with nails filed to a point, gripping the doorframe. Between the two hands was the sideways head with two glowing yellow eyes with pupils like snakes and a single red tuft of red hair. It watched them, vanishing as I rushed by from the basement. And we're done inside, I said. Outside, we all took a collective breather before deciding to head to the alley for a quick investigation. We moved slowly down the alley, thankful for the street lights overhead. Five feet in front of us, we heard a loud clang. A large trash can toppled forward and rolled towards us. We searched the area and didn't see any raccoons or cats, but we still can't say conclusively this was paranormal. Loading up the SUV, Claire stopped, tote in hand, facing the house. I followed her gaze. In the upstairs window, just visible over the windowsill, were two yellow eyes looking down on us. Wrap up. We reached out to Darla following the investigation, but have had no response from her. This is the first time in our history that a client has ghosted us after a completed investigation. We agree with previous investigators that there are likely three portals here, bridging the gap between our world and another, or maybe others, plural, making it possible for these restless and aggressive creatures to pass back and forth easily. We believe it's possible that countless entities come and go through the portals, with a few sticking around to be regular ominous presence in the house and surrounding property. This cute, cozy-looking home is proof that you can't judge a book by its cover. By appearance alone, you'd never know what nightmares hid behind the white picket fence. We would say, without question, avoid this location. Or if you're braver than most, take your priest, holy water, smudge bundles, and crystals. We're fascinated by the paranormal. We head out at night looking for it but the risk far outweigh the curiosity at this location. Without being able to get a hold of Darla or anyone else, we tried reaching out to the City Office and Historical Association with the evidence we collected. We've yet to hear back from anyone. It's not possible or safe to close Case 123, the shrieking house. We'll keep you posted with updates if we ever hear back from someone. If you want to stay up to date with everything happening behind the scenes, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. We will be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. If you enjoy our cases, please make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. When you do, take a screenshot. Then email us the screenshot and your mailing address to hello at sleeplessinsuburbia.com and we'll send some podcast stickers your way. Oh, and make sure to subscribe so you get our new case each week. Until next week, stay the heck away from Barstow. Bye, everyone.